Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, it's uh, a blessing to be here today. And, um, you know, just apart from him, we can do nothing. And, uh, but with him, nothing is impossible for us. So welcome to the dynamic tension of the kingdom of God, right? And so uh, it's exciting to be here today and to share. I'm just going to really continue the message that's been being preached in this service through the worship, through Akaremot, uh, which is, uh, um, you know, it's the, it's the parasha that follows Adab and uh, Abihu when they were burned by the Lord for presenting uh, the wrong incense, uh, an unholy incense on his fire. It's a very serious time. It's, um, you know, if you, you know, literally the, the name of the parasha is, you know, kind of right after God destroyed, you know, Adab and Abihu. These are, these are, um, these were the sons of Aaron. These were priests that, that did the wrong thing and, and died for it. And so when we move forward um, into this week's parasha, it's a powerful thing. Before I move into that, though, I want to mention this right here, which is, uh, next slide, please, is that, uh, you know, every week, I want to encourage everyone in this congregation or um, listening or watching from video through the uh, YouTube and the broadcast, you know, there is this Torah portion that goes forth every week. And it is common, parts of it are common anyways, among all scattered house of Israel, anywhere, any shape and size, you know, not all the house of Israel uh, embraces the whole house of Israel in that sense, you know. Um, but there is something we can do to create unity and to, to see a restoration and to get the discussions on the right pages. And so, um, if you were to go out to the ecdallas.org um, website, that's the Eitzheim website, on any given day, you can go out, you can select on the service times and directions, and when you click on it, it's gonna come up and it's gonna have a Torah cycle that you can select, and it has a list of the Torah cycle that you, um, from the website, should be following. And, um, the reason you want to do that is to be on the same page. And just like we open with the Mato Vu every time we open a synagogue service, and, uh, you know, Rusty, he coordinates these things because we are in harmony with the house of Israel. We are the house of Israel. Whether you've been grafted in or naturally born or, you know, a sojourner who's trying to figure it out to see whether this is it or not. We are the house of Israel, and the house of Israel was given instruction so that we would never forget. And, um, you know, when these portions were put together, you know, the tradition, as I understand it, goes back to Ezra at some of the time of the returning from Babylon. People needed to get understanding again. And we are in a time of the regathering of the house of Israel. And all are welcome. And it's an exciting time. God is doing amazing things. I mean, it would have been something, you know, to be alive at the time right before, you know, Moshe walked back in to talk to Pharaoh, wouldn't it? I mean, that's a, I mean, it's, those were tough days, right? Lots of brick work, you know? But these are tough days, but they are exciting days. And so I just want to encourage you that by uh, getting into the Torah portion, you know, there's an introduction to the teaching of the house of Israel. There's discussion to be had between those that are... Now, this is a Messianic Jewish synagogue, meaning this, this body of believers sees themselves as Jewish, Israel of God but messianic, rooted in Messiah. That makes us different than Chabad, right? You know, that makes us different than the different organizations that are there. 
But nonetheless, we do stand side by side on certain things, do we not? We do. And so if you want to have a good discussion, and I've had these discussions sitting on planes next to, you know, Orthodox, conservative, Chabad, flying to Saudi Arabia of all places. You know, I've been next to, the, and we can have discussions about these things. And you know what? We're talking common language, aren't we? And so I want to encourage you that you can be persuasive to emphasize the reality of Yeshua as not only the giver of the law, because who is the voice in the wilderness? Who is the voice from Mount Sinai? Who is the voice in the burning bush? It's the word of God which became flesh, correct? So we are speaking of that same one when we share about Yeshua, and it helps to do a little homework so you can use the language that they can understand or that we can all understand together. Because sometimes there's arguments that come back the other way that we need to hear as well, correct? And so anyways, I want to share that, you know, Yeshua uh, to the Jew first, uh, after his resurrection, appearing on the road to Emmaus with some of his disciples, you know, he walked through from, uh, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained the things about him written into the scriptures. When you're able to take a parasha, understand and be able to grasp the house of Israel perspective pre the new covenant. Now, the new covenant is not everything old was thrown away, but it is a new administration of the truths of the Torah. Does that make sense? A new administration of the truth that's in the Torah. So the truth of the Torah never went away. But the administration is not from earth in the old Jerusalem or the Jerusalem below. It is administrated from Jerusalem above where Yeshua is seated at the right hand of the Father waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? And so I want to encourage you that this is what Yeshua did when he walked on the road to Emmaus. And who knows, maybe he did Torah portion by Torah portion and went through and said, here's this, this, this. And at the end of it, it was like, man, it's all about you. That's pretty amazing because he is the word who became flesh. So anyways, I just want to share with you that that is out there. And I know that there are different versions and different calendars that are rolling around in the restoration of the house of Israel. You know, right now, I know about five different people who absolutely love Yeshua, believe in the atonement, and they're all kind of, you know, the Zadok calendar and the Enoch calendar and the, you know, there's all these calendars, right? But you know what? We walk together. We walk together. And so I, I, I think that it's, it's safety when we learn from our big brother, Judah, who've been walking in things for many years. And that doesn't mean we want everything, because obviously Yeshua had issues, right, with them. And, and, and I will say this, I think Yeshua has issues with new covenant believers as well. I think, you know, sometimes you get people in the room together, and they'll help work the dysfunction out of each other, right? As you start to say, oh, you know, maybe that perspective has more merit than maybe I gave it because I was used to being with this group that doesn't even look at that part of the truth. Does that make sense? So this is the idea, and I wanted to encourage all people to begin to follow the parasha in order to begin to get on the same page and to have dialogue, you know? Uh, this is not the United Nations, but we want a united house of Israel, right? You know, so anyway. So uh, just a, a quick review, because much of this was covered in the pre-readings and so forth. But uh, the Akremot, after the death, there was emphasis throughout Leviticus 16, 17, and 18, often referred to as the heart of the Torah. And for those that have read Acts 15, where you would see that the disciples came together and it was like, well, how we've got these Gentile believers coming in. Where do we start? What do we do? You know, the, the Pharisees that had gotten converted and came to Yeshua were like, hey, they need to follow Moshe and then they can be involved. And it was like, well, none of us followed Moshe before we got converted. You know, Abraham, the law came after faith, right? 
uh, the covenant of Abraham. And so it was decided, start with these basics. All of the basics that they started with are right here in these chapters. And so um, instead of a division, there was meant to be a fusion. Does that make sense? You know, you can take uh, a hot front and a cold front, and they are not the same thing, correct? But what happens when a hot front and a cold front connect with each other? You've got a tornado, you know what I mean? And I will tell you, the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit may have sounded like a tornado, right? You know, something was going on. The, the absolute unmovable truth of the Torah was infused with fire. Whoa, you know? And so anyways, Leviticus, uh, you know, 16. You know, the, uh, I had here uh, 16, 1, 2, 29, and 31, and these are just excerpts, but now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron, he shall not enter at any time into the holy place, into the veil before atoning uh, cover which is on the ark, or he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atoning cover. And uh, picking up at the end of that, that uh, section, this shall be a permanent statute for you in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You'll humble yourselves and not do any work or the stranger or native, uh, neither the native or the stranger who resides among you. For it is on this day that atonement will be made for you to, cl to, be, for you to cleanse you and you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you so that you may humble yourselves. It's a permanent statute. Now, you know that this was talked about in the children's video that we saw earlier, just the essence of this. But um, I want to emphasize a couple of the things that were brought up in this section. Number one, in, in 17 now, it's about blood. You know, Yeshua, I mean, how many of you know this? When you get saved or you get, you know, you do teshuva and you come to Yeshua, all of a sudden blood, there's a lot of talk about blood, isn't there? I mean, if somebody walked in here and knew nothing about it, it's like, you know, the blood, the blood. It's kind of like, man, what is up with this group? You know, right? No, we're not a bunch of vampires. You know what I mean? Blood is a reality of life, though. And when you get into Leviticus 7, God is making some key points. Life is in blood. That is why you cannot, you must not, you should never drink blood. And if you have... You have violated a commandment. You know, Satanism and witchcraft and all this stuff, it does all these things because they are not respecting that life is in the blood and the blood belongs to God because all life belongs to him and him alone. But he has given it to us on the altar for our atonement. So does this make sense? This is a core truth that you should get. Because throughout the scriptures, everywhere else you go, if you understand these principles, you'll understand what the problem was, you know? And so there was, a, uh, there was an instruction as well. Don't go make your own sacrifice somewhere else. Bring it to the tent. And in doing it that way, you are presenting it to God, and it's a holy sacrifice unto him, not a, what he refers to as a... Uh, sacrificing to the goat demons everywhere anybody wants to do it. Do you know why there's not a, a, a temple and they're not doing sacrifices in, you know, Jewish synagogues or temples anywhere? It's because this principle, they understand it. You can't have a holy sacrifice now except one place from the earth. That's in Jerusalem on the mountain of God where it was committed. And God has shut that up for a period. It's been 2,000 years. You know, it's been shut up. But I think God was trying to get a, a point across, which is the sacrifices that are below must reflect the sacrifices that are above. There's one sacrifice above, and that's what Leviticus 7 is really speaking to. And, and I say really, it's like, well, when you read it, it's all about blood and it belongs to God and only in his temple. And if you eat blood, you're cut off, you know, and it goes through all of these points. 
God's saying, don't follow others. Don't do what you see, you know, you know, the heathen. That's a word my dad used to use. That's anybody who's not in Messiah and the word and, you know, what I'd call the commonwealth of Israel. And uh, don't do what they do. Don't go into a place where you're going to do evangelism and then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, well, you know, we're going to follow what they do. And then somehow we expect that they'll be converted back to him. You know, that's a delusion. You know, we used to, I mean, I remember when we were kids, you know, the youth group days for any of you young people out there, you know, it was like they called missionary dating. You ever heard of missionary dating? That's when a person who's in Messiah decides that they're going to go fall in love with somebody who doesn't have any respect or knowledge of Messiah, and somehow that dating is going to convert them. You know, that is actually the counsel of Balaam to destroy Israel in reverse. You understand that? You know, and that's from another parashah, but, but when Matovu opens the service every day, that was the blessing of Balaam when he was trying to curse Israel. That's how we open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. He could not curse Israel. But you know what he could do? He gave counsel to the ungodly to go get your daughters to go marry their sons and vice versa and therefore pollute them, get them to do our practices, and then God himself will turn on them. It's horrible, but that's the teachings of Balaam and Balak. And so um, anyways, God was making a point here in Leviticus with his principles and foundations. And one of the things that to emphasize is blood and that it is holy belongs to him. The other thing when you move into Leviticus 18, which we heard in the first Corinthians reading of the Brit Hadashah, was every form of uncleanness sexual, whether it's incest or it's homosexuality, whatever it is, there, it's rooted in blood. Did you see that when you've read your, your portion this week? It is rooted in blood. It is respecting your, the blood of your father and not touching his wife, not touching his children, also called your sister. Not doing this. It was all rooted in respect of the life that's in the blood. And it further goes on as you read the various ones. You know, it's don't, don't defile yourself. And it's about not misunderstanding nor um, losing reverence for your father, your mother. And that it goes into a whole extension of uncles and aunts and every form of, of uh, lewdness, he calls it. But it's also your gender. You are meant to identify with your gender. You have been given a biological gender from the Almighty. You are to respect it and to reverence it from Him. And you are to adjust yourself and position yourself accordingly. Now, I know that's not popular in our day. But that is the absolute truth. And we are not called to be like them. We are called to be like Him. And so are they. And we are on their side for this reason. Because we know to go against such things brings destruction in the end. Suicide rates, all the different elements that go with it. And these are tough truths. But you know what? Let's jump into Ezekiel, which we were reading earlier in the half Torah. Now we ended at verse 19. But if we were to go on to the, um, the rest of that chapter, it goes on from 19 forward. And it says this, um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, because all you have become waste metal. Therefore, behold, I'm going to gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. But how does it go on? As they gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the smelting furnace to blow fire on it, in order to melt it. So I will gather you in my anger and my wrath and I will place you there and melt you. And I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath and you will be melted in the midst of it as silver is melted in the furnace. So you will be melted in the midst of it and you will know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. Now that's pretty intense, isn't it? That sounds like Abba is not happy, right? 
And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not clean or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets. In her midst, like a roaring lion, they tear the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law. There are many ministers that are not faithful to Yeshua. And they are not faithful to his word. They crave the, the, the um, affirmations of men more than they crave his affirmation. I mean, I'm just letting you, this is terrifying stuff. But this is our nation as well, is it not? These are our family members, is it not? And, and the temptation is to shrink back or withdraw. Because we love these people. We don't want to hurt somebody. We don't want to offend somebody unnecessarily, right? But when you see somebody doing something that will bring the wrath of God, and he's committed to it. God honors his word even above his name. He is committed. When the wrath is poured out, then the question will be is, you knew and you didn't tell me. Right? So we must be bold as a lion. And in this uh, Ezekiel 22, um, Priests have done violence to my law. They've profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. And when he says holy, he's talking about that which he has instituted versus what men do. Like, hey, you know, you want to, as far as I'm concerned, you want to have a holiday that's like, hey, happy, you know, flower day. That's whatever. But don't conf confuse that. Don't confuse that with Yom Kippur, Right? You want to have a special day on the winter solstice, that's fine. But don't you confuse that with what he instituted. Does that make sense? And I will tell you, I know that this is, this is rough stuff, but you know, I don't come today as just a teacher. I come in the anointing of a prophet. And I don't take that on myself. That's the Holy Spirit inside of me saying things that some may not have the anointing, the courage, the ability to say, and I will say it because I live for his, his affirmation. I'm not waiting for some man on the last day to say, hey, George, well done, you were awesome. Whether it's that at the company I work at or the people that see what's going on in our bank accounts or whatever it is, that's not what we're living for, is it? It's to be faithful to him who sent us, right? And, and, and in the private place, not just the public. And we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I certainly am not preaching my own righteousness today. Mine is filthy rags just like everyone else in this world except the one. And this is what's exciting because here's the heart of our father through his prophets. And he's saying they have not taught the difference between clean and unclean. You know, that's a big argument out there is whether clean and unclean even exists anymore. You know, but know that it does. And God wants his priests and his prophets to teach what it is. And they have closed their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am defiled among them. Her leaders within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to make dishonest profit. And her prophets have coated with whitewash for them, seeing false visions, divining for them, saying, this is what the Lord says when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced extortion, committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and needy. They've oppressed the stranger without justice. And this is where, I mean, this is not the nice exhorting letter, although it really is exhortation, but it's just one of those things that's not comfortable, is it? You know, and we could say this to those who sit in our houses of government, who sit in our judge seats, who sit in our Congress, you know, whether that's state, local, school boards, we say this to them. This message is not just for you. It is to be declared out. This is what the Lord says. But this is his heart. It ends with this. I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for this land. 
so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have brought their way upon their heads, declares the Lord God. You see, the heart of our Father, you see, the heart of our Father is not for destruction, but for redemption. But know this, be aware of not only the mercy, but the severity of God. He is committed to his word and that this earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, just like the waters cover the sea, right? And so, um, the next slide, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 is quite amazing. God outlines his prophetic pathway and a promise to awaken Israel's love for him, to circumcise their heart, to sanctify their actions, secure Israel back into its land in holy and acceptable worship. In addition, he will punish their enemies and bless her abundantly. And, um, you know, just uh, Deuteronomy 30, if you're not familiar with that, and this is what's so important because all of this happened. I mean, and, and you know, even what happened at 70 AD, you know, the Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem now, isn't he? He's doing things. But there was a time the entire nation of Israel was wiped out. I mean, salt poured on, every stone cast down. I mean, it was horrible, right? And there were believers in that city as well. But many of them, if they followed Yeshua's words and guidance, they got out, right? They left. Do you know that that is some of the source of the schism between the Orthodox Jew and what would be called a Messianic Jew? Is that you abandoned the city when it was this. And it was like, hey, I'm following the Mashiach. I am not following you. And I will say that as well. When people step up into seats of government and you try to take our nation down a way that is not according to this word, we are not with you. We are not with you. You need to change and be with him. There is one Lord of the earth, and he doesn't sit in the White House. He sits in the eternal throne. And his strength is greater. His wisdom is higher. And when they think they have him in checkmate, like, like Leviathan, he can put a hook in their nose and strip them of their armor. That's who he is. And so it is important to understand in this day, you know, in the liturgy service, which was very good, I really enjoyed that uh, today. When you look, and the Lord in his holiness gave the Torah, in his holiness. Remember how we started from holy fire. I mean, on the day of this parashah, Aaron's sons were dead, consumed by fire. So I want you to think of what I'm saying in the light of something like that. I mean, what if it was your, anybody have a son or a daughter that's in rebellion to God? And if they were consumed by fire, what your heart would be on that day? Right? I have one. That is not my heart, right? I want them redeemed. I want them returned. I want them restored. I want generations in worship before God. Correct? But only in the light of holy fire do we get the importance of the truth that we have been given. We are meant to be the pillar of truth in the earth. Epistles written and read of men. And listen, I know that we are all weak. And apart from him, we can do nothing. But you are not just the human you were before you became a part of the new covenant. Because what was a shell with a human soul struggling, fighting for survival, became filled with a life-giving spirit that not only did it raise Yeshua from the grave because hell could not hold him, but it can raise your dead flesh to want to walk with God. And this 
is Torah written to your heart and into your soul and into your mind that you might love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and to recognize life and death, blessing and cursing, and choose life for his name's sake and for your sake. But this was a prophecy that, in my opinion, it patterns the, the song of Moses in Exodus. It's a, it's a prophecy that God's saying, I know this is going to happen. You're going to get kicked out of the land. You're going to do all the things I told you not to do. I know that. How many of you know that as parents sometimes? You're like, I know he's going to do exactly what I told him not to do. You know, uh, you know it. But he made a promise. I will do this in you while you're living unclean in the nations. And, you know, and there's a reason why Chabad and all these different sects of Judaism are not in Israel. Did you know that? Like when you go down through an Orthodox section, it's like, what are all these Jewish people doing here? I thought they're supposed to be over in Israel, right? Where, you know why? No Mashiach, no return. That is a fundamental belief that exists among different sects of Judaism. No, Mashi no Mashiach, no Messiah, no return. Because he's the one who restores us to the land. And so this promise is part of what reinforces that. Which is, he will find you unclean among the nations. And he will restore you, not only in heart and in cleanness and in holiness. But then he will restore you to the land. And you will live holy there. And your enemies... They should be very, very careful because he is now not allowing his bride to go through her choices like a book of Hosea experience, but instead she has returned. She is holy, and you've come after the bride. You cross the line, and you will not hear the name of the Lord as the one who is coming just to save you. He is coming to annihilate you. And that is the book of Revelation if you get into it. People are clutching for stones to cover them because he's coming and his appearing is growing. That's terror. So this idea of the fear of the Lord doesn't exist in the new covenant and everybody just is all about, you know, just an awe. It's more than awe. It's not just seeing like, you know, Niagara Falls or something. It's every force in the, in the earth that holds every atom and molecule together is coming to make an object lesson out of you for touching his bride. We do not want anybody to be in that situation, do we? And that is why, uh, next section, but the Lord prophesied that he would make a pathway. But somebody had to pray the, pay the price. Somebody had to be the man who stood in the gap. Remember Ezekiel 22. I looked and I found no one. You know, and his own right arm extended to become that answer. His word became flesh and blood. And some think that's an anathema. You know, if I talk to a Muslim, it's like, no, God would never touch humanity. He would never incarnate, you know, and so forth. And it's like, well, you know, if you love your child and they are astray, maybe you just go to the extremity of everything possible to say, you know what? If I can't find anybody to do it, I'll do it myself. And he extends his right arm and Mashiach is born. And it's all written in there. When you see it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is everywhere on almost every page. Something is speaking of Messiah. But when you move into the New Covenant, the Barit Hadashah, you go into the book of Hebrews. This is the point of the book of Hebrews. They're going back to this, to this very Ahrimot, this, this talk about uh, Yom Kippur. And they're saying, I want you to see what Yeshua did. Yeshua fulfilled the atonement for the house of Israel. And, you know, if we go into the detail of it, which... For time's sake, I'm not going to do that. I'm looking for a time clock. There I am. Yeshua fulfills it in every detail. Matter of fact, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it from a different set of scriptures. Um, 
The bottom line is he made that purchase. He became the blood on the altar, not the altar on earth. You know, some say, well, God doesn't receive human sacrifice. If you've ever had discussion with Orthodox Jews, that's a point that they make. God never asked for it, although the picture of it is in Isaac. God never required it. But Yeshua laid his own life down. There was no Levitical priest who slit his throat, although there was a tee-up, you know, for the uh, Romans to sacrifice him. But he says he did it of his own free will. He says he did it because it pleased the Father. He said he did it so that he could redeem us. And so his blood, you know, was not carried by a Levitical priest into the Holy of Holies, although it's quite interesting that the entire veil was ripped while he was dying, and that is in the, uh, the, uh, the Talmud, that that happened at that time. So God did it himself, but his blood, his blood was presented according to the book of Hebrews and in Romans, which is where I'll read it from, from um, his blood was presented on the altar in heaven. And it was once for all time, not every year, but it's for all time. And while I am not opposed to the restoration of a temple, I am opposed to those that think that the blood of bulls and goats can atone for human sin ultimately. If the sacrifices and work in the temple is in harmony with what Yeshua did, in the heavenly temple, of which the earthly one is merely a pattern, then that is a good thing. I have no problem with that. But if it becomes a replacement, and even, and, and I will tell you, this has happened among the Messianic movement. God is doing this restoration of the house of Israel. The value of Torah is arising across the nations. It's a movement that has no leader except the scriptures and Yeshua. But some go too far, they abandon Yeshua, they find themselves trying to take Orthodox, you know, or Chabad or some sect of Judaism and say, you give me the knighting and the, the aliyah to come back to Israel and I come back with you. And you know, this has happened. And Hebrews 10 talks about not seeing the blood of Yeshua as a holy thing. Commin continuing in sin... Matter of fact, I do need to read that 10. <clears throat> the Torah has a shadow of the good things to come, not, not the form itself of the realities. For this reason, it can never, by means of the same sacrifices they offer continually year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers cleansed once for all, would no longer have a consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So when Messiah comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not delight. Then I said, behold, I come to do your will, O God. Uh, in the scroll of the book, and that's in the whole of the book, it is written of me. And after saying the above, sacrifice and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor did you delight in them, those which are offered according to the Torah, then he said, behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. And by his will, we have, made holy, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Messiah, Yeshua, once for all. Indeed, every Kohen stands by, day by day and serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But on the other hand, when the one offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting, for that, waiting from then on until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he is perfected forever, those being made holy." The Ruach HaKodesh also testifying to us afterwards saying, This is the covenant that I will cut with them. After those days, says Adonai, 
I will put my Torah upon their hearts and upon their minds. I will rate it. Then he says, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. How many of you want your sins and lawless deeds to be remembered by our God no more? Ever. Doesn't matter what you did. I mean, you know, go through Leviticus. There's a whole host of wickedness and atrocities. I was a youth pastor at one time, and I had a big group of kids. 30% of the girls and some of the boys in my youth group had been sexually molested by relatives, visiting ministers under their household, horrible atrocities. I mean, you know, that, that's just wickedness. But that happens in our world. You know that, right? This is not, we pretend, you know, that in here nothing happens. Out there, it is happening. And it's happened in the household of the Lord or he wouldn't have given Ezekiel 22, right? Correct? Yes. Those men, those women, those children who then took that atrocity to themselves and multiplied it out to other people. You know, a free radical cell in your body, when a cell is impacted by a free radical, something is stolen from it, it loses its DNA normal identity, and it begins to search out where it can get energy that it needs to balance itself. That leads to cancers and all kinds of health issues. A human soul that has been sinned against has a similar response. There's an injustice, an atrocity, and it must be made right. How many of you know social justice is a key word out there these days, isn't it? Justice must be satisfied, and it is a pillar of the throne of our God. Correct? It is correct. Those people who have been sinned against turn around and sin against others. That is the broken human condition. Would you agree? All of us have sinned and gone astray. Some atrocities far, more, far worse than what others would think in the light of all things. But when you move into the holy presence of God, all sin is defilement. There's a reason God said, don't come near my throne unless you've done all these things because I will break out against you and destroy you. I mean, this was Aaron, right? He set up the system, but he's like, don't do it because I'll kill you. We do not understand God. If your theology has a God that you don't have a measure of terror about, you don't know him. You got something, some pastor, some theological group got together, you know, Constantinian, let's build a Roman empire. You got something that isn't him because he is not in your box. Like C.S. Lewis said, he's not a tame lion, so don't walk in there just thinking you can do whatever you want. He's good, but he, you don't master him. He's the master of all. And that is a reality of who he is. Note the severity and the kindness, mercy of God. Mercy to us who've received it. Severity to those who refuse and stubborn in heart stay with defi the you know, the rebellion and so forth. And anyways, it goes on to say, um, one of the things that's in this section is it says, do not neglect uh, our own meetings as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see it, the day approaching. One of the things of the Messianic movement, and I, I fall into it myself, it's so easy to understand that this sanctuary does not create my atonement at all. That organizational body of men does not give me entrance into the eternal city. Would we agree with that? Are we on the same page? No organization of human beings gives you entrance into the holy place with God, ever. They may affirm it if they have the Holy Spirit. They can be a witness. They can be a testament. They can lead you. But if the Holy Spirit has not witnessed to your salvation, you're not saved. I don't care who told you what. The Holy Spirit is the mark that you have been received by God. It's not the prayer of an unfaithful, yeah, I'll pray this prayer and I'm saved. Good. Now I can go back to whatever I want to do. That is not accepted. And anybody who told you it was, it was not the whole counsel of God. 
It is about a sincere heart that is circumcised. The way God says it is that you tremble at my word. God help us. We need each other to be encouraged in the word of truth and kindness. Because it's not just this. He's also Abba Father. He's also the one that you can run to when you're hurt or you've done wrong. He says, come to me. Though your sins are as scarlet, we'll make them white as snow. Get in here. If you're full of stubbornness and rebellion because you're like, I'm not going down my mom's religion or my dad's religion. You know what? Get over the dishonor of your father and your mother, number one. But number two, go talk to him about it. He knows all the sin of your father and your mother. He knows who they are in the secret place that nobody on this world knows. He knows. But they will stand before him alone, just as you will. So, the whole chapter there. But remember the former days when you, after you were enlightened, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to abuses and afflictions, and other times you become partners with those who have been treated this way. You suffered along with the prisoners and joyfully accepted plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves have a better and lasting possession. Therefore, do not lose your boldness. Therefore, do not lose your boldness. I don't care if you were canceled from Facebook. Do not lose your boldness. Now, don't speak with self-righteous indignation speak with holy indignation that typically has a tear in its eye because it knows that you can, you can cancel, you can sequester, you can try to stop truth, you can try to make it like it's not seen anywhere. It will rise out of the ashes. Did you know the very land that we're sitting on right now will spew sin out? It'll open up and swallow people like it did in the wilderness. That's actually the interesting thing, that the land belongs to him as well. And it says when you do these things in the land, the land will spit you out of it. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. Plagues come from somewhere, right? Some of these things, not the man-made ones, the ones that you don't defile. So don't lose your boldness. But it's not a boldness based in self-righteousness. It's, it's a boldness based in what it says here going forward. For you need perseverance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may be able to receive the promise. In a very little while, the coming one will come, and he will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul takes no pleasure in him. Meaning it's like, you know, God's like, get back out there. I know it hurts. Not my will, but your will be done. I mean, didn't Yeshua say, can we do this a different way in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, that's how I hear that prayer in kind of my George Renninger, the message version, you know. It's like, God, this really looks bad. Is there any other way to get this done? But not my will. Yours be done. And he took the cup and he drank the cup. In our day, we must share the truth. The rainbow, the rainbow represents the fact that God judged a wicked earth and wiped out everybody but the ones who honored him. That's what the rainbow represents. I don't know what anybody else thinks it represents, but I will tell you, when I see the rainbow, I think of Noah. And I think, oh, good. It won't be why water ever again. But it sounds like it'll be either the holy fire from the physical or it'll be the holy fire to our soul. And, you know, how many want holy fire to your soul? But we are not among those timid ones on the path of destruction, but among the faithful ones to the perseverance of our soul. And, oop. Uh, let's, uh, we'll go to Acts 2. Acts 2 is where it was fulfilled. Up until that point in time, 
the, the circumcision of heart, God writing his law in the hearts and souls of men and their minds, it was an external activity. And unfortunately, it does not save. And that's what Romans 10 tells us. That, you know, we have Jewish brothers that pursue the Torah, but it's through a dead work idea, meaning by my will, I will obey and earn salvation. And it is by those works that I will be saved. And we are those in the Messianic Jewish community that have said, yeah, that really doesn't work. And uh, if you're honest with yourself, it really doesn't work. And it's just because we're so gone into sin as a people. Our body of death is, is horrible. But, but the word can be near you in your mouth and in your heart that you can do it. How is it? And that's actually again from Deuteronomy 30, also in Romans 10, where in Romans 10 it says, don't say in our heart who will go up into heaven and bring Yeshua down, who will go into the abyss and bring him up. You know, this is the word that we are preaching is what he says. And that is the word we are preaching, the very word from Sinai released to you by the Holy Spirit so that in you, right next to your human spirit, is fused the fiery Holy Spirit of God, which on the day of Pentecost, the disciples have been counting the Omer. Anybody counting the Omer? Day 14, tonight's 15. Fully focused on waiting. They had seen Yeshua. He went to them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he, he ascends into heaven later. And they go and they're tarrying and they're waiting for something. What is this power? What is this? How, how does this work? What is it? And while they're there, this mighty rushing cold front, hot front must have collided somewhere because a rushing wind like never before is heard and tongues of fire are over the individuals. And those that have been timidly concerned, what will the Romans do if they find us? You know, these are the disciples, right? We're his guys. What do they do if they find us? You know, like, hey, what if I say that on Facebook and I get taken off? What if I say that to my daughter and I offend her? What if I, you know, those are a lot of human heart thoughts, aren't they? But in this case, these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what ends up happening is they are out in the streets boldly declaring the glory of God. Speaking in tongues. And not just glossolalia tongues where they're in a prayer language. I mean, they are speaking Arabic. And they are speaking to the Persians in their own tongue. And they are declaring the glories of God. And people are saying, these guys are drunk. And it's like 9 a.m. in the morning, and they're not drunk, Peter says. This is what was promised in the book of Joel, when I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, and you know, the whole book of Joel, if you read it, is one of these moments. And, and if you've been taught it as metaphor, understand it in a historical context. It was like if you've gotten married, get out of your bride chamber and bridegroom you know, chambers, pull, lay yourself at the altar and weep and wail and say, spare us, oh God. That's what it says. Because it's coming. And it's, there's nothing going to be left in its wake. And it's an army that God has sent. Whether it's the locusts, the way some interpret it, or it's multiple interpretations. It's the Assyrians. It's the Romans at 70 AD. Or it's the one world Luciferians of our day. Our job is to say, spare us, O God, and be filled with his Ruach HaKodesh and declare his kingdom in the face of those who may be committed to destroying us. But ours is not to shrink back, but to be bold and strong. And in the end, to him who overcomes, I'll give the crown of life. Even if they said, you're not real Jews, you're not real Israel of God. That same place, I'll make any of those that aren't with me that have said that, I'll make them bow down and acknowledge that I have loved you. And in that place where I said you are not my people, for anybody that comes from that lost house of Israel reality, he will say, these are the sons of God. So I will say this, there's an invitation to go beyond your natural strength, your natural will, your natural emotions, what's happened to you from your generational tree, 
and it is to leave that at the staked cross, whatever you want to call it, that place where Yeshua took our sin and nailed all the curses that the Torah rightly would have spoke against you. And he nailed it and he took that so that we could walk in the truth of the Torah by the spirit that he restores to us in his highest intent of having sons and daughters, not just servants. And so, uh, next slide and then the next slide. So, Acre Mot, after the death. Let's move that to an Acre Mot. After the death of Yeshua, our Mashiach. His resurrection, which is reality. And his spirit being poured out on all flesh for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What will be your future and the future of the ones you love? Just like Esther, for such a time as this, will you keep silent? Will salvation come from somewhere else but you and your household? These are dark days, but these are exciting days. Return and call upon the name of the Lord in Yeshua. Receive the baptism, a mikvah, in the name of the Father, in the name of Yeshua, the Son, in the name of His Ruach HaKodesh. And if you have only experienced an acknowledgement that the Father sent the Son and the Son is, sent, is by the Father, but you have not been baptized in the fire of God, in the Holy Spirit, that that which is still an external, it's like, Lord, I'm so thankful you saved me. But you do not have his indwelling Ruach HaKodesh that can take a lion, take a lamb and turn him into a lion. You know Yeshua is both, right? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the, sons of the, 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 the sins of the world. Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has overcome and has taken the scroll of the earth in his own hands. And he's made as a kingdom of priests unto our God. And you shall reign in the earth. How is it that we reign? We reign because the truth is not outside of us condemning us. The truth is inside of us, compelling us, inspiring us. You know, don't use the word of God to bring destruction. Use it to bring redemption. Because destruction is imminent if they don't take the redemption. That's the truth of the gospel. And so I encourage you. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've not already. And the last piece, and this was Romans 10:2, and it said this. How will they be saved unless somebody preaches? Like all of this stuff that I said today, how will anybody know to turn from their sin unless somebody tells them? You know, you know they're all going to counselor upon counselor, you know, they've got every sort of help, self-help hotline for when you're ready to kill yourself, right? We all know it's all over us. Sin and death is all over us and in our culture. Where are the preachers? Yeah, this was a bit more of a preach than a teach, right? You know? But you know, that's part of the kingdom as well, right? We all have our place. What about you? The Lord cries out, who will, who can we send and who will go for us? The prophet Isaiah, he, he knew he was unclean, but the Lord touched his tongue with a coal of fire and it became whole. Just like he did Joshua the priest in that prophetic picture. God will touch your tongue with his coal of fire. Yeshua has made the pathway to say, trust in me, I'll take care of it. I'll give you what you don't have. You'll be bold like a lion. And you know what? It may not be your personality. Your personality may be the wallflower. But I'll tell you what, just like the disciples, you get filled with the Holy Spirit and the fire comes on you, you won't be able to sit there. You'll be talking. So that is really the close of the message. And I would uh, invite you that please take action on what's being shared. We're going to go back into worship, but if anybody wants to come up and get prayed for, the elders will pray for anybody that wants to be prayed for. 
You know, I often think that sickness and disease is, as the Bible says, is associated with not discerning rightly the body. Sometimes you've rejected truth you need to embrace. You know, sickness and disease is part of the curse, but Yeshua broke the curse. By his blood we're, 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 we're forgiven. By his stripes we're healed. By his bruises, you know, our souls can be regenerated. Uh, yeah, the worship team. And so, as the worship team plays, I would ask you just to take the next couple of minutes in your seat and search your own heart. We're going to have the, the bread and the wine. And it's the Shabbat bread and wine. It's not the Passover bread and wine. It's the Shabbat bread and wine. But every time I eat bread, I'm reminded to think of him. Every time I take wine, I am reminded of his blood, his body and his blood. And when you take and partake in that today, I want you to bite into it and know that his flesh is true food. His blood is true drink. And it will redeem you, it will heal you, and it will make a way for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And if you want to be prayed for, somebody will pray for you while we're doing the worship. And so uh, that's all I have to say about that. So anyways, God bless y'all.